All right, Matthew chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading verses 5 through 15. 5 through 15. So let me read this for us, and then I'll pray. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray... Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this time where we could sing about the joy of the Incarnation, sing about Christmas. And Lord, we thank you that we can come to this passage that talks about prayer and how essential it is, Lord, to having a meaningful relationship with you. Lord, help us to be encouraged, to be challenged, to be convicted. Help these students, Lord, in this moment uh, to draw closer to their Savior, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Years ago, when I was in seminary, which actually was more than a few years ago now, it's just weird how the time goes by so quickly. Uh, but there was this um, article that got shared around. This is even before the word viral was a thing. Like I think the word viral was like just slowly starting to happen. Um, but this article, or this video, maybe more so, uh, was made by a guy in Tacoma, actually. And he kept saying things like, um, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. And so all these Christians began sharing it in hopes that people who kind of don't understand the Christian, the Christian faith or people who they wanted to hear a little bit more about Jesus. And I think there's, there's good intention in that. Um, there, there's a sense in which they're trying to say like, hey, what, what we do in the Christian faith is not just do this, don't do that, be a good moral person. I think that they're trying to communicate. It's about a vibrant, meaningful relationship we have with God through Christ. Now, the only problem with that video, though, and saying things like that, is that, of course, it's not true. The Christian faith is, in fact, a religion, right? And there's a sense in which... I even, I, I, I don't like kind of even saying that Christianity is a religion. Do you want to know why? Because when you use the word religion, it's a very relative term. In our day and age, religion is just one of many. What religion works for you, right? I happen to be a part of the Christian religion. Or you might be, you know, of the Islam religion, right? And there's this temptation to kind of go along with the cultural air that just says all religions are virtually the same, right? Where they're all kind of like you, you guys all pray, you all do your religious you know, um, experiences, you have your different kind of gods, but, but more or less, 
what all religions are is a self-help, you know, become a better person. And, I, and, and yes, and I would disagree with that as well. And that's why I struggle using Christianity as a religion. But at the same time, it is. And there's, there's something here, I just want to make an observation before we jump into this. But do me a favor, look at verse 2 of chapter 6. Look what he says here. Um, when you give to the needy, okay? We talked about this a few weeks ago. Another way of saying giving to the poor or giving to the needy is called giving alms, right? Um, you're, you're giving money or resources to help those in need, right? Now, do me a favor, look at verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray. Look at verse 7. Jesus again says, and when you pray. Now look again at verse 16. And when you fast. Now did you notice that Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you ever give money to the poor, or hey, if, if, you, are, if you ever pray, or if you ever, no, he doesn't say if, he says when, which tells us that Jesus assumes that we will be people in his kingdom who help the poor, who pray, who at times fast. And here's the thing. There are other religions that practice fasting, other religions that pray, other religions that, that give to the poor. It's not only the Christians. Although I think you can make a strong argument that if you look over the last 2,000 years, that has been the Christian church that has led to the rise of Western civilization. But what I want to just kind of communicate here is that we are right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. Right, right dab in the middle. And right in the middle, Jesus spends most of his time talking about prayer. Jesus expects and he assumes that the people who follow him, Christians, will pray. They will pray. Now, here's the thing, though. Jesus knows that if we don't ever talk about praying, if we don't spend some time thinking well about prayer, we can go pretty far off sidetrack pretty quickly. And so Jesus wants to kind of correct and steer the ship and give a model of prayer. And we're going to talk a little bit about the irony of the model of prayer and how it's used by most people in contemporary times. But with all of that said, as we kind of launch into this little talk about prayer, here's the question I would like you to think about as we kind of think about prayer. Why, as a Christian, should prayer be a priority in my life? Why, as a Christian, should prayer be a priority in my life? You see, like I said earlier, Christianity, yes, in fact, it is one religion of all other religions. Yes, that's true. But how is Christianity actually different than every other religion? How does the Christian faith actually separate itself from that of a different faith or a different religion? And that's kind of what I want us to think about. I'm going to walk to this passage, and hopefully by the end, We'll kind of come to that question at the very end of as why, as a Christian, should prayer be a priority in my life? Okay? And so, and kind of for our outline tonight, Jesus here, he gives us 
a model for prayer. And so I kind of titled today's sermon, uh, Prayer 101, right? If you walk into class or one day in college and they say, Psychology 101, what is that really saying? Yeah, general entry level, this is the first thing that you're going to learn about psychology. Like, and you can build on top of that, but here is like the basic block. And so that's kind of what Jesus is doing. He's giving us the prayer 101, okay? So Jesus begins with how not to pray. Sometimes we learn by not always telling us what it is, by telling us what it isn't. And so the first thing Jesus tells us here, he says, hey, do not pray like the hypocrites. Go ahead and look down with me, would you? Verse 5. The hypocrites, they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. Now, if you can remember back to a couple of weeks ago, this is before Thanksgiving, and then the week before that, I did a Thanksgiving sermon. And so the week before that, we talked about the passage right before this. So chapter 6, verse 1, actually sets the tone for all of what Jesus is saying all the way up until verse 24. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In Jesus' day and age, it became a very popular thing for Judaism to simply be a religion of external factors where you can just look like a good show, say the right things, do the right motions, and you got the two thumbs up. So Jesus already gives a warning about, hey, when you give to the poor, don't just go say, hey, look how generous I am, right? Jesus says, don't even let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. And he's not being serious there, but he's trying to drive in a point. Hide your righteousness. And so the kind of principle we had two weeks ago was if you were tempted to show off your faith, you need to hide it a little bit more. If you're tempted to hide your faith and you don't want anyone to know that you're a Christian, you need to show your faith. So along that kind of vein, Jesus now takes that idea and he applies it to prayer. And he says, first thing, when it comes to prayer, do not pray just so that other people will think that you are great. That is what the hypocrites do. Now, here's the thing. We live in a day and age and a context so far different than this, right? How many people do you know go up in the middle of their high school while everyone's walking in passing periods or middle school, excuse me, I don't want to be biased, right? And they, they close their eyes, they raise their hands, and they just start praying out loud as people are walking past them, Right? I doubt if they are doing that, that they're really doing it seriously. So there's a sense in which, like, dude, who really does this? But allow me to maybe just say, have you ever been asked to pray before? Maybe for your family dinner, maybe for a small group, maybe with some friends. And the whole time you were more worried about what the people thought of you praying than you were actually about bringing your heart before the Lord, right? I don't know how many of us want to brag about our prayer life to other people. Maybe that will become a temptation one day. But I would be willing to guess that in this room, there is a fear. And part of that fear is because we want people to think well of us. 
We want people to think that we are, we know what we're talking about. We're spiritual. And so when Jesus says here in verse 5, don't, don't pray just to be seen by others. And so can I, can I just challenge some of you here? Some of you here, when it comes to small groups or Christians, you, you avoid the limelight at all costs to have to talk and especially to pray. Especially to pray. But can I just say something here? Jesus here, we, if we take his words too literally, sometimes with the Bible, we abandon all nuance. We forget that there's other parts of the Bible and we have to take a reasonable interpretation to what Jesus is saying here. Because do you think Jesus here is forbidding all public prayer? The thing that I just did right after I read the passage before I started preaching, I prayed in public. I prayed for you all to hear my prayer. I prayed at the end of worship. Was I wrong in doing that? Am I going against what Jesus is saying here? Should have I have done what he says, go into the closet and pray in secret? Jesus is not so much talking about avoiding public prayers, more is he actually saying this. And here's the point I think Jesus is getting at. Your public faith should be the tip of the iceberg of your private faith. In essence, if the only time I ever prayed as a Christian was before I gave a sermon or after I led worship, and I never prayed by myself, in the car, in my office, when I wake up, before I go to bed, with different people, it kind of just seems like prayer is just something that I'm supposed to be doing. And so actually what, what Jesus is saying here is saying, don't, don't be like the people who only pray simply when it's convenient or when you have to. Have a heart with the Lord that, that you pray far more, just you and God, than you ever would in public. And so to some of you who avoid prayer at all costs, I, I wonder, what, what is your prayer life personally and in private? Because our public prayer life should just be a representation of my private prayer life. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand nervousness. I understand shyness. I, I, I get all of that. And I'm, I'm not trying to make people feel super guilty. Like, oh my gosh, I don't like praying out loud. But I, I do want to just encourage and think about why as Christians should we pray? When was the last time where you made a devoted time, you set it in your schedule, you planned it in your mind, hey, when I get home from school or when, before I go to bed, I'm going to pray. Not to literally go and make a closet, but I'm, I'm going to get alone, I'm going to be with the Lord, I'm going I'm to pray with him. In essence, what Jesus is saying, your public prayer life is just an extension of your private prayer life. So the first thing we don't do is we don't just pray because we're supposed to. We don't just pray because it's convenient. We don't pray to be seen by others. We pray because we ultimately we have a relationship with God in person and privately. Second thing, though, Jesus says, that was the first way we're not to pray, Second, look what he says in verse 7. And when you pray, so again, assuming that we pray, don't do this. Don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need 
before you ask him. I've heard this question a million times. Hey, Aaron, why do I need to pray if God already knows what I'm going to say? Why should I pray if God already knows what's going on in my life? Why do I have to do this? And that's a good question, right? It's a fair question. If God knows everything, why do I have to go through this process? And the reason why I like that question is because typically there's a misunderstanding about the nature of prayer altogether. Most people approach prayer like this. God is like my cosmic Santa Claus. I have a problem. I have a wish list. I have a request. So I'm going to go to my cosmic Santa Claus, and maybe if I pray enough, maybe if I do enough righteousness... This cosmic Santa Claus, Jesus, will give me what I need, want, in the moment. And listen to me very carefully. I I cannot say this more strongly. Prayer is not so much about you bending God's will to yours. More than prayer is about bending your will and heart to God's. Are you saying, Aaron, I can't ever ask for a request? No, I'm not saying that. But far too often, our prayers become this, God, please just change my circumstances. God, please give me the things that I think will make me happy. And that's not what prayer is designed for. That's not what prayer is about. I mean, the amount of examples that we see God doing in the Old Testament, there there are some, but by and large, the nature of prayer is to train our hearts to be more dependent on God. And so there are people who approach God in prayer simply based off of, God, what are you going to give me? Imagine if someone came up to you and they started a friendship and it seemed really nice and fun and you really enjoyed this person. And then they pretty much just told you flat out, to be honest with you, I'm only friends because of what you give me. I'm only friends because I I like your Xbox Five. I'm only friends with you because you kind of make me look good. Imagine my wife coming to me, Aaron, I only married you because you had a lot of money. I I, I don't really love you. I just wanted your money. I don't have any money, so that's never going to happen. Right? But but, but can you imagine, like, the pain and the hurt? Now, Now, imagine the Lord, when we come to him and we say, God, I'm really only praying to you because I want things from you. How many of us simply just approach prayer to be with God? Because we love him. Because we desire him. Because in his presence, there are 10,000 charms, right? As the hymn would say. So so the first two ways not to pray are really Jesus is warding off bad desires. One, we approach prayer because we hope that it'll gain us human approval. And secondly, we approach prayer because we think that it'll, God will give us things. You know, when I was a, a kid, I thought that you had to pray so long, like the words in Star Wars, where you had to keep praying until they finally reach up to God, and when they reach up to God, he'll start listening. I know, kids' minds are weird, right? That is not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, don't don't treat God like this cosmic little deity, like if I say our Father four times, then he'll really listen. 
No. He's saying like, God, he knows your heart. He wants to hear. He doesn't want to hear these like ritualistic, formulaic, you know, prayers. He doesn't want to just hear, you know, he doesn't want you just to come to him and just use him. He wants a relationship. And so that's what leads Jesus to the model of prayer. And, and, and to be honest, this model of prayer in verses 9 through 13, we could spend a week on every single line because of how rich it is. And all the implications of the Lord's prayer. But I don't have time for that. So tonight, we're just going to break it up into two big sections. So again, if I can just try to summarize all of what Jesus is saying in these 10 verses, here, here's what I would try to say. As Christians, we do not pray in order to receive worldly benefits. We don't pray simply so that people like us. We don't pray simply so that I can get into the good college or get more money or all my problems are taken away. We pray for the things that we need in order to live for the glory of our Heavenly Father. What is prayer designed for? It is not designed for us to pray for things that simply make our lives better, but we pray for the things that we need in order to live for the glory of our Heavenly Father. Those are the things that God wants to grant and request. So let's look at this model of prayer. So two ways not to pray. Don't pray like this, but then he says, pray then like this, right? Verse nine, pray then like this. Our Father, okay, you know, my dad every night going to bed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? And as a matter of fact, I've taught my daughters the Lord's Prayer. Just every night, we've seen the doxology. Most nights we, we say our Father, right? So I want to break up into two sections. The first section, there's three petitions or three requests all about God. And the second part of the prayer, there's three requests or petitions all about us, Okay. So the Lord's Prayer can be broken up into two sections, petitions about God, petitions about us, okay? So let's go ahead and dive into the petitions about God. Verse one, look what it says in verse nine. Our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. Let me comment really quickly on those two little words, in heaven, in heaven. When I was in the ninth grade, uh, maybe my first week of high school, my friend Bobby Barno had this hat. And on this hat, it said, Jesus is my homeboy. Jesus is my homeboy, okay? Now, I, I, I shudder at those words that I ever wore that hat, right? But in the ninth grade, there's a sense in which that was an important step for me to, to, to wear that hat because it was the first time I was actually willing to publicly associate myself with the person of Jesus, now, if someone would have asked me that I was a Christian or went to church, sure, I would have been yes. But I remember wearing that hat and almost being nervous. Like, here it is, the sign on my hat that says, I follow Jesus. Yet the problem is, it just gives a horrible misrepresentation of who Jesus is. There's a sense in which when we talk about God and we talk about Jesus, we make him to be so personal that we forget just how big God is. Now, there's a, there's a theological word that I'm, I'm going to use to describe God's bigness, and that's the word we, we, we mention as God's transcendence. 
that he is high above the heavens and the earth, that he is holy, that there is no one like God, that he is all-knowing, that he is omnipresent, right? He's everywhere, that he is all-sufficient in his character, that he is the three-in-one God who from eternity's past, who is in the eternal being, he is God. And yet growing up, I would sing songs of the youth group, every move I make, I'm making you. You make me move Jesus. Every move I make, I'm making you. Waves of mercy, waves of grace, right? What are we talking about? Jesus is my homeboy. When those little two words say in heaven, what you are to think of is to think of this God who is the creator of all things, who is transcendently above us, can be called my father. You see, let me tell you something. Those first two words, our Father, will never have the sweetness that they're supposed to have until you recognize how great the next two words are. In heaven. This huge God who rules and reigns over every single atom in the observable and unobservable universe is your Father. And some of us, we have poor experiences with fathers. And I, and I hope it's having a relationship with our Heavenly Father that redeems the office of what fatherhood should be. D.A. Carson is a professor at the um, seminary I, I went to. He says this about these words, talking about how most Christians miss this understanding of God's transcendence. They constitute part of a pattern of irreverence, shallow theology, an experience-dominated religious criteria which has eviscerated a terribly high proportion of evangelical strength in the Western world. He goes on to say this, the Jews of Jesus' day were inclined in the whole to conceive of God as so exalted that personal relationship with him could be scarcely imagined. He was so transcendent that the richness of personality was frequently lost to view. By contrast, much of modern Christianity tends to portray him as exclusively personal and warm, and somehow his sovereignty and exalted transcendence disappear. See, when, when we make God too much like Jesus is my homeboy, we lose a part of God. Yet if we make God too big and too uh, far from us, we, we lose the personalness. And guys, can, can you see where this point is heading? This is why we need Jesus. How can man ascend the hill of the Lord? How can the God who is abounding in steadfast anger but yet doesn't forget the sins of those who are sinners? And the answer is, is Jesus. Jesus is the, the God-man. He, he reconciles us. In his humanity, Jesus intercedes for us. He says to the Father, they're okay, they're mine. And in his deity, he draws us close to God. And so like I said, I could do a whole sermon on just our Father in heaven, right? 
And so when we pray, our Father in heaven, before we even begin the petitions, here's what we must remember, that my God is big, he is mighty, he is strong, he is the all-knowing, all-sufficient, glorious creator, and he's my Father. It's a personal thing. Matter of fact, I could spend the whole sermon talking about that first word. Do you know what it says here? It doesn't say, my Father, it says what? Our Father. We pray to the same God, our Father in heaven. The first request says here, hallowed be your name. Literally, to make your name holy. It's interesting, when we, when we say these things to God, we are actually saying we will work hard to make your name holy. Back then, a person's character was tied to their name. And so when we, when we talk about making God's name holy, Holy, we are praying that God would help us, literally help us to make sure that we make his name to stand in reverence and awe. You know, there's a sense in which um, it's always been famous to use Jesus' name as a swear word. To take the Lord's name in vain, right? The very opposite of that is to pray that your name would be made sacred and holy. He goes on, he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Now listen, God has a kingdom. It's the heavenly kingdom. When Jesus comes, that's why he says the kingdom is at hand. When we pray for the kingdom to come, we are asking for more of God's kingdom to be fully recognized here on earth. Now imagine, do me a favor, just try to imagine the absolute best kingdom. And by kingdom, think of nation, think of country, think of utopia, think of no sickness, no poverty, no boredom. Think of no relational problems at all, no issues, no drama, no stress, perfect unity, perfect harmony. No one ever dies. That's God's kingdom. And so when we pray your kingdom come, we are praying, oh Lord, we want these things to be more in our communities, to be more in our lives. We want more of your goodness, more of your holiness. And who is the king of the kingdom? Is it not Jesus himself? And so when we pray, your kingdom come, here's what we are praying. We are praying, oh Lord, would you send more citizens who would bow the knee to King Jesus? We want more Christians. We want more gospel-centered, gospel-preaching churches. We want more of the things that Jesus is all about. And he is all about saving sinners. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, we are praying, oh God, would you multiply the ministry of Jesus? To, to pray your kingdom, oh Lord, would my youth group be synonymous with love and peace and unity and kindness and the love of Christ. Your will be done. Third request for God. And literally what we are praying there is we are praying, God, help us to live out your will. And I spent a lot of time talking about what does it mean about God's will, but, but in essence, just to be very you know, short with you, we pray that God would help us to obey his written word. 
He has expressed his will, right? The, the, the age-old question, what is God's will for your life? It's for you to be more and more like Jesus, for you to be sanctified, for you to obey this, this word of his. So how do we pray? We pray for God's glory. We pray for his kingdom, for his will, for his name to be hallowed. Did you see what Jesus is saying? Don't, don't pray just to get worldly things. Don't pray just to be heard. Don't pray just to get more things. Pray that your heavenly Father's name will be hallowed, that his kingdom would come. That's the first thing. And what's interesting, he makes a pivot. Look at verse 11. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Daily bread. The argument I would like to make is that every request that he gives from here on out is simply this. Give us the things, God, we need in this life in order to live for your will. God, if I'm going to wake up today and love my neighbor as myself and take care of my family and to be devoted to the people in my church, I need energy. I need food. God, would you provide the things that I need in this life to, to be able to continue to wake up another day to serve your kingdom, to further it, to live for your will? God, if I'm going to be someone who's going to be a minister of reconciliation, Lord, I, I need you to forgive me of all of my sins. That word debts can mean financial debts, but in this context, it means sins. Lord, I, I need to be forgiven. And Jesus kind of even gives a little paragraph in verses 14 and 15 where he's not actually saying if you don't forgive, you won't forgive. But in essence, it's the attitude. If I can't be forgiven of my sins, there's no expectation that I would ever forgive someone else. And then they say this in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In essence, we are asking God... If I'm going to live for your will, I need help me avoid the schemes of the enemy, the schemes of the evil one. Lord, help me to avoid the sin of my heart. We pray every single day, God, I am tempted with these things. Listen, middle schooler or high schooler, if you are not consciously thinking of the things that you are often tempted by, that means that you're probably giving in to them. Pray about the things that you know your heart is tempted by. Hey, this is going to be a really hard day, Lord. And I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm already tempted to be depressed about it. I'm already tempted to be mad. I'm already tempted to be uh, a gossip. I'm already tempted to be, you know, be cold and you know, passive aggressive towards my family or my parents or my siblings. Oh, Lord, help me. Deliver me from this temptation. Give me the things I need in order that I may live for your kingdom and your will. And so why as Christians is prayer so important? How does Christian prayer differ from every other single religion? Because in every other religion, prayer is simply another religious activity to kind of earn up the next notch of your righteousness. Look how good I am. Look how much I pray. You know, sometimes I hear Christians say, well, we devoted ourselves to prayer and we prayed tons and we prayed tons and that's why God blessed us. Again, it sounds too much like a formula. 
Put in your prayer, out comes the blessing. But as Christians, we pray because Jesus has redeemed us and brought us into a relationship with God. We pray because we love God. We pray because we know that we have more to learn, more to grow, more to do. We pray because we have the privilege of prayer. We pray simply because there's a relationship, because our Father is in heaven. And so let me give you two, two quick things this week. Two, two quick things that take away. One, take a survey of your prayer life. Think about how often you pray, when you pray, what you pray about. Do you pray? Jesus assumes that we will pray, and he assumes that we will be praying for things that we need. But are we praying with the intent and the desire to see God's name and his word be known to others? Second thing, takeaway for the week. Pray like a relationship. The only way to really grow in a relationship with God is to spend time with him. And we spend time with him by prayer. Now, here's the great thing about prayer. You could do it on the car ride to school. None of you go to school anymore. Some of you do, I guess. I don't know. You could do it in the car. You could do it on a walk. You can do it writing down in your journal. You, know, you, you could do it before you go to bed. But I want to encourage you. Develop a relationship with God. Pray to him. Don't pray to him simply to get things. Pray for the things that you need in order to live for his kingdom and his will. And lastly, I'll just tell you, if, if you sit there and you say, like, man, I, I rarely think about prayer. Rarely do I care about prayer. Start there. The Lord wants to hear that. He wants you to come to him and ask for the things that you need. And let's go to him now. Lord, we confess that we need your help. We need your guidance. So, Lord, would you give us the reminders throughout the day, Lord, that we are to live for your kingdom and your will. Lord, help us every day to repent of our sins, to be reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus. Lord, help us to come to you as our Heavenly Father. Thank you for that privilege. And we know that privilege is ours because of the God-man Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, our everything. Thank you, Jesus. We praise in your wonderful name. Amen.